The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of On The List. Today is Wednesday, January 16th, and I am your host, Austin Bristol II, joined this evening by Dan McNamara. Dan, how are we doing? Bristol, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm here, man. I am ready to go. I'm excited. We're back for two weeks in a row, uh, week two of 10 for our... uh, for our rankings debate series here it's going to be a lot of fun and i'm excited to have you on today to talk about first base yeah this is this is one i've been looking forward to uh mostly uh to quote mr alex think fast to listen to these sultry tones i mean like i can't even i don't want to be a broken record about this but now i get to not only listen to it but we're on video chat for those who are uh listening to the podcast i get to see the words come out of his mouth and then listen to them. It, everything that you're picturing about Austin Bristow right now is it, it's, it's exactly what you're thinking. It is just it's it's poetry in motion. It's poetry in your ears. And I can't <laughs> wait to sit down for the next hour and just be a part of this. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. The only thing uh, that you're picturing that is different is I am wearing a shirt. So, uh, for those of you who haven't joined us here on the list, each week I'll be joined by a writer from our Pitcher List staff. We talk baseball, we'll discuss what they've been writing recently, and we'd like to do a mailbag session at the end where we answer your questions on the air. So you can send those questions over to community at PitcherList.com. That email there, again, is community at PitcherList.com. Or you can send them directly to myself on Twitter. My Twitter handle is, as always, at Bristowski. Dan, where are you at on Twitter? So you can find me at Danny Hot Takes. Uh, that was the that was the brand that I sort of came up with for myself when I uh, decided I was going to try to you know break into this industry last year, and uh, it's kind of no pun intended caught fire when I sort of stormed into the community here. And uh, yeah, I've thought about switching it a few times, but at this point, I think it's just part of the charm. So uh, at Danny Hot Takes for those of you who. Uh, want a good follow honestly danny hot takes is such a sick nickname and <laughs> twitter handle there 
please never change it. That's, <laughs> that's so good. It's um, it, it, the, the, the biggest reason why I even remotely considered changing it is just because I got I got so much of an earful from uh, from Papa Nick when I went down for the uh, for the for the uh, what is it? The uh, the meetup in Brooklyn uh, over the summer. So. Uh, yeah, he was giving me a hard time about it. Like, why Danny hot takes? And I was like, why not? So, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so, you know, uh, there were considerations, uh, but at this point, like I said, um, I think it just adds to the character. So it's, it's here to stay. I dig it. Well, all right, man, let's go ahead and, uh, get started let's get to know a little bit about Dan. So we're going to start it off, you know, real easy one softball here for you. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, my man? Yeah. So, uh, born and raised Philadelphian. Um, I think everyone in our discord community, uh, knows that at this point, uh, I spent the early part of my childhood in the, uh, the Langhorn area of uh, greater Philadelphia for those who sort of know the area, uh, moved a little bit further North, uh, new hope PA, uh, and settled down there for most of my early life. Uh, I was a multi-sport athlete growing up. Um, uh, my dad raised the uh, the old sports fan son, so I was that Philly four across the board. Um, it was it was definitely a distraction for me. Uh, you could say that sports was certainly the priority when you know the, the folks probably thought other things should have been. So uh, my entire life was always built around sports, fitness, uh, following my Philadelphia teams, playing sports. I was that you know basketball, soccer. Um, played uh, lacrosse and baseball, obviously. Uh, baseball, believe it or not, um, was the one that I actually uh, cut out on first. I had to make a choice uh, when when dad, sit me, when dad sat me down and told me we needed to start focusing on the sports that I was going to thrive in. I chose soccer and basketball at the time because those were the ones I was a bit more passionate about. Um, I still insist to this day that I probably could have been I probably could have been a gold glove center fielder in the major leagues, but you know what? We'll, we'll throw that to the side and blame that on eighth grade Dan. So hey man, I'll take it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but all in all, never, ever lost the passion for, you know, following the Phillies and following the sport. Um, obviously, you know, this being a huge part of my life at this point, uh, never really lost that, that drive and love of the game. Uh, but outside of sports, I know we share, we share this in common. Uh, I was also a symphonic choir boy. Uh, so oh, yeah. you and I, uh, both with these choir boy tones that we're sharing with the world right now. These uh, lovely bass tones here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More, more of a baritone. Let's go with that. Let's go with the baritone. So, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, coming out of high school, uh, continued my soccer career off at Gettysburg College. So uh, I was an athlete at the NCAA level, uh, majored in computer science while I was out there. Uh, sort of a backup plan. Uh, I got a little bit sick my freshman year and uh, medical school kind of went to the wayside when, you know, grades started to plummet. I started to miss a little bit of class, um, moved up to Boston in 2014, uh, got a job as a developer, uh, eventually realized I wasn't a guy who was, uh, you know, cut out to sit behind a desk and write code. I think, again, you can tell just by listening to me, I'm a little bit more type A than your than your average computer scientist. <laughs> Uh, uh, utilize that type A personality to move a little bit more into the sales line of the uh, of the industry. Uh, worked for two different companies while I was up here. One was an enterprise search platform. One was uh, built around rapid application development. Uh, I worked in sort of differing sales capacities. 
And eventually, when my second company uh, reached a point where they had grown and actually gotten acquired, I was approached and uh, I was told that they wanted me to find you know some sort of route to growth within the organization. They asked me, uh, you know, to come in on I think it was Monday with a plan as to how I was going to, you know, set myself up for you know growth toward a leadership role within that company. And I kind of came in on Monday and was like, "Well, my plan is I don't want to be here anymore." <laughs> and oh, and it wasn't oh. it wasn't necessarily that I didn't love the people that I worked with. It was, again. Uh, passion has always been health, fitness, sports. Uh, I actually got my personal trainer certificate about a year ago and decided just to take that leap of faith, go into personal training as my full-time career. And I'm currently building up that business with what I would consider to be a lot of success, which is slowly but surely opening up my, my calendar to spend a lot more time focusing on my writing and my baseball. So, uh, you could sort of say I'm on the path to living my own little dream right now, uh, and yeah, really excited to start building my days around those two elements. That's awesome. It's always great where you can, you know, do the things you're passionate about and somehow make money doing it. I yeah. Mean, I love being part of Pitchless because I, I sort of get to do that. Like, we, of course, we don't we don't make a ton of money, but uh, it's we do get paid and it's great. I mean, I don't tell Nick this, but I would probably do this for free. I mean, I, I love doing this stuff at PitcherList and it's the people I've met through uh, the community and everything have been fantastic. So it's, it's great that we get to do this, isn't it? Yeah. We just get to play a, a fake game <laughs> for fun. And, and also people listen to us for some reason. Yeah. And I mean, you said it, you'd do it for free. You know, very well, uh, from all the times I bugged you last year that I basically did do this for free for, <laughs> for, for parts of my summer. So yeah, you got started, uh, with your writing. You did a couple of community pieces with us and I, uh, I read over a couple of them for you there. That was a, it was, it was a good start. I've definitely, uh, heavy on the analysis i think i think with both of them i told you this is really good you should cut it down and i think you told me in in uh no uncertain words uh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh i think fast was talking about the uh the idea of trying to figure out how to be more uh, more streamlined with your with your words, and uh, you you weren't the only person that I was bugging like crazy to read these pieces. Um, I was looking for different uh, different insight, and that was always his feedback as well. Um, he would always say, "This is this is it's too long. Just figure out what's important. Uh, figure out where you're being repetitive, uh, too verbose. Figure out what analysis is key to your argument, and then be ready to defend when people come at you with." Uh, you know, the holes that are apparently in your piece. Um, you don't necessarily need to cover up every single base. Just be prepared to come back at them when others decide to bring them up. So uh, valuable lessons across the board. I think, you know, shout outs to uh, Michael Augustine and Ben Palmer, I think, were the other two guys who I really bugged a lot. So it was it was you four who I think were very motivated. Um, uh, call you inspirational uh, we'll just we'll we'll call it that uh very knowledgeable um and i really really appreciate that again echoing your uh your praise of the community i absolutely love this community as well man to be included in a list with fast palmer and augustine is uh high praise thank you much <laughs> yeah well well you know you're half of you guys are podcast hosts and you're in that half so that's tr that's a that's a good point to be you're fair special, I, I just 
went to Nick and was like, hey, we should do something where we get to talk to our staff more. And he was like, okay, go do it. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> that, 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 that sounds like Nick. Um, hey, Nick, I'm thinking about writing. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> I don't yeah. care what it is. I know it's going to be good. I trust you guys. Go do it. Nick, I, he just he loves he loves his baby, the pitcher list, man. And uh, any content we can do to help it grow. I know that he's just he's excited to just watch every single thing that we do. So, yeah, it's always a good time. Yep. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, your fantasy baseball life here. So, uh, like, tell me, what kind of leagues do you play in? What's your favorite type of league to play in, et cetera? Yeah, uh, sort of echoing a lot of the a lot of the things that again, um, Fast said in the uh, the first week of this. Uh, I'm also a big a big guy for points leagues. I never really play in more than two of them. I I just. I find myself being so busy that I know that if I'm looking to prioritize a lot of other things, it's going to be tough to keep up with more than two, maybe maximum three leagues. So I usually tend to keep it at two. Uh, they are almost always points leagues. Uh, one of them is going to be a pitcher list league this year. So that's probably going to be a categories league. So I'll have to yeah, definitely have to learn to how to play yeah. standard five by five eh, learning. And it's not that I don't know how it's just the dislike of wanting to, or the dislike of the categories in general. Um, and we'll talk it, more about that when we get to first base. I think our rankings are based a little around our tendencies in our leagues, Austin. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there when we when we'll we get there when we get the there. Device. But yeah, <laughs> You're right, though. yeah, but very, very similar to uh, some of the stuff that was discussed last week. I I tend to be a guy who likes to reward what I would, you know, air quotes call production. So when we think about production, we're thinking about, you know, guys who are stepping up to the plate and doing damage as a hitter. Uh, so I, I've never been one to really put a whole lot of stock in stolen bases. I've never, I'm, I'm also someone who has lost, le- you know, league matchups in the past where, you know, my team beats another by, you know, 30 points of average, double digit home runs, but you know, they had three steals that week and I had one. And it's just, you know, if they take steals, saves and, you know, pick your other, random counting stat all of a sudden you've got yourself a matchup and uh those are those are the ones that i don't necessarily love being a part of but hey like you you learn to play within the rules and you learn to be a little bit more strategic so uh needless to say i do love points leagues uh my home league that i've actually been in for about six going on seven years now is actually an interesting format it's year-long point accumulation so it is a points league that does exactly what i say where it uh you know rewards production it's all about just capitalizing on as many points as possible but there's no matchups it's more of like a think of it like a rotisserie style where instead yeah, of like points roto yeah yeah so so instead yeah so instead of having the uh you know, the categorical rank, you instead just have total accumulation of points. Uh, okay. I know there's a few leagues like that out there. Uh, but, you know, given the fact that whenever we have, you know, us experts talking about our rankings, we're never really thinking about that format. I have to imagine it's somewhat rare. So I enjoy it. Uh, it also happens to be an auction league, which I'm a big fan of. I love the idea of having a strategy and then being able to go out and almost definitely execute that strategy. So with an auction, with your salary, you can go get your guy. So you can buy in and you don't need to constantly worry about those, you know, detours or backup plans. 
Uh, you can go like out if, like as opposed to a stake draft. You got, you got to wonder, will this guy make it back to me for my next pick? Yeah. Do I need to like read? Do I need to exactly. reach? Exactly. So um, I, for example, this this past season, I, I went out and I spent out of a two hundred seventy five dollar cap. I knew I wanted Chris Sale and Max Scherzer to pair with my to pair with my Blake Snell and Aaron Nola. So I went out and spent one hundred and eight dollars combined on the two of them of the two seventy five cap that was for my team. Uh, and you know what? I finished in first place. So wow, you go out, you go in with a plan. Uh, my plan was to stack starting pitching. It was a points league. And you know what? It, it worked. And odds are I'm probably not getting both Chris Sale and Max Scherzer in a, in a snake draft. So um, with, not without taking some serious risks. So um, I love that. And uh yeah, if I could choose my perfect league, uh, you know, some form of points with an auction would be my preference. But that's the beauty of fantasy baseball. There's just a million and one different ways for us to go out and compete. Some people are better at others. And, you know, it just allows us to, you know, have our certain bragging rights and our certain tiers here. Absolutely. Well, uh, you should definitely be looking forward to the uh, pitcherless leagues, which are a standard five by five <laughs> with a snake draft. So, uh That'll be fun. <laughs> yep. well, just a little uh, kind of, you know, readjust. Got to like pivot a little bit to figure out, uh, okay, adjust my strategy here to figure out what's going to be more valuable. Um, I I would guess I would, that you're going to be punting steals. So uh, there's that. So anyone who's playing in Dan's league, uh, keep that in mind. Yep. And uh, you know what? They don't call me Danny Hot Takes for nothing. Maybe you don't need steals to win. So, ooh, well, I, I mean, by they I, I mean I like steals. <laughs> and we'll again. That's going to be a determining factor in a lot of these debates we'll have at first base. Here is I like steals and you don't. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll get to that in just a couple minutes. Tell me a little bit more about yourself here uh you said you're from philadelphia i gotta assume that means you are the big phillies fan uh just about the biggest uh <laughs> yeah um i i have multiple signs on my wall uh that i've received gifts uh from different people one of them reads you're in the home of a loyal phillies fan cheer accordingly or shut up like like <laughs> just just little things like that and there there there's different more inappropriate ones that i don't need to read uh, uh we, we know papa nick is family friendly so we don't need to go there uh so uh yeah just i've been a diehard phillies fan my whole life uh you know born in 91 uh so when they won in 2008 i was uh i was uh six or 17 years old so uh you know that was me going through the first 17 years of fanhood and then finally capitalizing so it was one that was you know a long journey that led to a lot of really really heartfelt success uh so that was a really good one and you know i still feel like that whole era they they should have had so many more uh after you know going through the uh the rollins howard utley Victorino Ruiz and then you know Hamels turns into Halliday and Hamels turns into Halliday Cliff Lee and Hamels turns into Halliday Cliff Lee Hamels and Oswalt yeah uh you just had this feeling like they left so many titles on the table through that era and it was such a fun group to watch and it was such a lovable bunch for the city um but you know what uh we got this you know these two free agents i can't remember their names but you know both of that both of them seem to be somewhat interested in coming into the city of brotherly love and you know maybe things are looking up for uh for the squad oh jeez, i mean 
as a Braves fan, if we're talking about leaving titles on the table, uh, you don't have that conversation without mentioning the Braves in the 90s. That's true. Uh, which is, you know, we got our title. That's And we, we hold the record for uh, pennants, so I'll take that too. <laughs> yeah. um, but... We were actually it was, there was a discussion in the uh, in the community chat today about how the Braves Phillies rivalry is uh, kind of set to get really fired up here over this next year and the next few years to come as both teams are uh, coming out of rebuilds, looking strong, looking ready to compete. Uh, so I think uh, you and I will definitely be having some uh, little. little uh, friendly rivalry here as uh phillies braves fans going forward over the next couple years yeah i i and i'm looking forward to it because i honestly it, you know it's it's hard to think about it, i guess i should put it this way baseball is very very different from say you know basketball and football because there's not that that true physical element where you have guys like, you know, actually like banging bodies and like it's not a continuous game where there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of opportunity to, you know, exchange blows. So baseball, there always seems to be some level of sort of a respectful rivalry until you start throwing at people's heads. You know what I mean? So, so I've never really had all the reason in the world to hate the Braves. I mean, I, I, I actually voted for Andrew Jones in our in our Hall of Fame, our mock Hall of Fame balloting, uh, really looked up to him as a center fielder, loved him. Uh, even this current team, uh, Freddie Freeman's been one of my favorite players since he came into the league. I absolutely adore the man. So and I see you absolutely adore the man as well by uh, oh, that I mean, facial expression. I mean, how couldn't you? Uh, Freddie is easily one of my favorite players of all time because, you know, I didn't really get into baseball until I was um in my teens so the braves in the 90s um really were never my team they weren't my players that i really knew like even uh chipper jones um i i was getting into baseball just as he was in his twilights of his career so this team here with freeman acuna all of these this this is really my team uh that i've first been able to you know appreciate because for most of my braves fandom we've been really bad um (laughs) But now we're going to be good, and I'm excited for that. Yeah. So you mentioned that, uh, you know, Freddie's one of your favorite players uh, in the league right now. Uh, what about some all-time favorites? Like, uh, I'm sure the the Utleys and the Howards of the world have got to be up there for you as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, I, I, I actually, you know, I knew you were going to ask this, so I had a couple of alternatives in place as well because I didn't want to just go the route of the Phillies. Uh I think in terms of non-Philly hitters, I've always had an admiration of uh, of David Ortiz. Uh, I, I, I paid a lot. I paid a lot of attention to the 2004 World Series run of the Red Sox because I had a twenty dollar bet on that, and when if you do the calculation from 1991, that would put me in eighth grade. So twenty dollars as an eighth grader is like is like parlaying on a multi-hundred dollar bet as an adult, right? So oh, for sure. So so that's big money. And I mean that's that's lunch for a week in the cafeteria. So we're talking we're talking about rolling in it. And I paid all <laughs> I, I paid so much attention to that 2004 team and watched every single game of the 3-0 comeback, watched all of his clutch performances and then saw more clutch performances in 2007 and more in 2013 and the guy had almost that perfect that perfect combination of 
you know, raw talent and the ability to know that he was the very best at the plate. I mean, he had almost like a little Joey Votto in him where he could turn around and look at an umpire and say, no, you're wrong. And <laughs> he was almost always right. And yeah. you throw in the, I mean, un, unrivaled clutchness in his postseason performances. And then you throw in the fact that he's kind of quiet, but also has this insane swagger, great bat flips, kind of stares out at the pitchers and certain he, he had this sort of all had it all personality. And yeah. uh, you just sort of respected the fact that he was clearly the leader of that team for such a long period of time. And then he had the opportunity to go win one more in a year where his city had a tragedy. It felt like he basically put the team on his back and said, you know what, let's go win one right now. And that was that was in between two bookends of I think were like 60 and 70 win seasons for the team. So uh, it, just uh, so much to love about that guy uh, just as a player, as a competitor. He's certainly up there um, now in terms of pitchers, which is where I really love to focus my energy. Uh, I, I know, you know, one of my guys, uh, oh, it's it's got to be Max Scherzer. It's. 100% Max Scherzer. Oh. So, I mean, you you and I have you and I have gone back and forth in our in our DMs just talking about Max Scherzer, and you know I join you every single every single one of his starts announcing Scherzer time to the to the Discord. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there. It, it's I'm yet to see him pitch live. It's it's something that I it's just on my bucket list. If I'm if I'm the guy who has to like fly across the country to like catch him in like his final season when he's like 37 years old. I'll be the guy doing that, just dropping everything. Uh, I just love that guy. And again, it, it speaks to that weird respectful nature of the rivalries because he's in my division yet again. So uh, it's, it feels so weird to almost root for the, for the Nats every fifth day uh, because there's nothing to hate about Max Scherzer. Uh, even if you're a hitter across from him, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Like get mad? No, it's, you have no choice but to just try to elevate your game and match him because he's just coming at you with just energy, ferocity. There, there's no disrespect to what he does. And you throw in the fact that he's just a, a student of his own game. He's so creative in the way that he uh, ex that he exploits different hitters. He utilizes his repertoire. Uh, and he was sort of a late bloomer. He was one of those guys that I think many, many experts started to quit on toward the tail end of his his uh, Diamondbacks career. And he just decided late in the 20 in his 20s that he was going to really, really figure it out. And he capitalized on all of that prospect growth. So um, I know that you probably have a couple comments about Max as well. It's just. Oh, I mean, it's what 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 more is there to say? I mean, yeah. I. I, I liked your comment about rooting for the Nats every fifth day um, because I owned Scherzer in the Pitcherless League this year, and it was so much fun just to have him on my team in a year where he got 300 strikeouts and was probably the best pitcher on the planet. Um, and to your, to your point about you know rooting for a supposedly division rival team... Um, <laughs> A new experience for me this year, now that the Braves are competitive for the first time in a few years, um, since I've been really into fantasy baseball, I, I realized that it's much, much easier to root for your fantasy players when your team is bad. <laughs> when the team you root for is bad, you're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to lose today. That's what we do. We, we're going to lose. We're going to win 60 games. 
total, and that's just how the season's going to go. So I may as well put all of my rooting efforts into my fantasy teams. Well, now, I didn't realize this in going into the season, but now, whenever my fantasy players are playing against the Braves, it's such a complicated mental thing to do. So much gymnastics going on in my head when Max Scherzer is facing the Braves, and I'm like, I want the Braves to win one to zero. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I want them to score in the ninth against their closer. Correct. Exactly. And, and I'd love if they could strike out like 12 times in the first eight innings just to just for my own entertainment. Yeah, it's I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, it, it, I, I, I used to be that that kid who had like the strict no divisional rivals on your fantasy team policy. And then I realized that I wasn't winning any leagues. So I changed. <laughs> so I changed that. Uh, and. Yeah, you, you, you sort of learn to let go of that stuff. Uh, but but uh, yeah, I, I think we could do an entire on the list talking about our love of Max Scherzer. So uh, <laughs> so we, we can move on to I, I think what was what's the official question or the, the official answer to this question. Uh, you already mentioned him. It's Chase Utley. He is undoubtedly my favorite player of all time. I know that this is probably a little bit controversial, especially in, you know, like the Mets community where, you know, a lot of them still insist that he was out there to to murder people at second base. But, uh, there's, it's not just him as a Philly. It, he had that same kind of swagger that David Ortiz had, but it was just so much more dialed back. Uh, it wasn't vocal. It was, it was all by example. And the way that you can really, really measure a guy's character at the professional levels, uh, just because we don't get to see them behind the scenes all that time is you can oftentimes go by what their teammates say about them. And, uh, there's countless quotes from you know the guys we mentioned earlier like Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Cole Hamels, who talk about how Chase was just the the driving force behind all of the success that that team had. But I always think back to uh, an interview with Justin Turner this past season when he got the the final All Star vote, the fan vote, and when he was asked you know, what is it about, you know, your recent years that have allowed you to have the success and get back to this level completely unprompted. He said, you know, we've just got a great set of coaches and we have great guys in this locker room. You know, when you have guys like, like Chase Utley and the Chase Utley was the only name he said out loud. So when you hear, wow. when you hear things like that, you know, that there's some level of impact that just goes beyond the tangible elements of the game. So, uh, there's a lot to respect about chase from that regard and on top of that he's just he's always been a clutch performer in the postseason uh you know throw out the fact that he had i think it was six home runs against the yankees in the world series uh that's clutch in and of itself his most memorable play is going to be a fake throw to first base to get the final out of the eighth inning in game five against the Rays in the World Series. So yep. uh, that's a play where if you ever get a chance to go look up videos and, you know, testimonials from his teammates, they always say, you know, you just can't possibly plan for that play unless you're Chase Utley. Chase Utley <laughs> can plan for that play. So, uh, you know, and there's uh, there's also the uh, the famous line from, um, from Harry Callis, who, uh, to those of you who aren't, overly familiar with the uh, with the Phillies organization he was the uh, the longtime memorable announcer for uh, for their TV and, and uh, radio and uh, there's actually a famous clip of him playing against your Braves where he doubles to clear the bases uh, to make it I believe a 5-2 ball game and then on a high chopper 
on the following play. He continues around third base and scores at home plate. And there's this famous line of uh, Harry Callis going, Chase Utley, you are the man. And that's like this this famous quote that uh, Philadelphians carry sort of like near and dear to their heart with regards to him and the Phillies organization. So, um, like I said, I could talk about favorite players for a long time as well. And I know we're, we're rambling a little bit here, but hey, this is your fault for opening up for tangents. That's fair enough. I, in the notes here, I definitely do have the phrase tangents welcome. <laughs> so, we, hey man, it is what it is. Yep. We better, we better keep moving though. So, uh, it, an, another fun question I love to ask our writers here. Do you have an article here that you've been particularly proud of that you've written? Yeah. So I, I'm actually going to go back to the community post from last season, uh, because in, I, I kind of like the, uh, the successful hindsight articles. Those are always really fun for, for writers. So, I actually wrote two. Uh, one was my first one. It was about Aaron Hicks and a second one about Zach Wheeler. Now, uh, with regards to the Aaron Hicks article, that was one that was that kind of spurred my my passion for the deep analysis and the writing because I was in the discord and I was an Aaron Hicks owner in my in my my main league. Uh, I had gone out and I had gotten a obviously an elite pitching staff and I was looking for upside in, you know, places like my outfield or my corner infielders and things like that. And I noticed how good of a season Aaron Hicks was having very early in the year. And there were these debates going on in the community about is Aaron Hicks droppable? Would you drop Aaron Hicks for X, Y, Z? Would would you include a guy like Hicks as a throw in in this trade? And I spoke up and was just sort of like, uh, guys, do you realize what this guy's been doing? And kind of got into a back and forth with some of the writers at the time. And then I was like, you know what? I should just write about this. And everyone was <laughs> like, yeah, you should. And I was like, okay, I'll show you. And the first paragraph of the article is me actually comparing Aaron Hicks. I think his previous 145 games to 2015 Manny Machado, who was an MVP candidate. So Danny hot takes right out of the gate. Right. So absolutely. So uh, that was a fun one. And obviously, if, if people bought into Aaron Hicks early last year, he paid some dividends for you. And uh, I wrote an article about Zach Wheeler in I think it was July when I started to realize that he he actually had some good stuff that for some reason wasn't getting him the results that you'd think he could get. Uh, talked about some of his key changes uh, that he that he made from, you know, interacting with Jacob deGrom in his free time, figuring out how to elevate that four seamer and throw inside to right handed hitters. And, you know, I saw so much promise in what he was going to be able to do if he could just, you know, perfect the usage of his repertoire. And lo and behold, Zach Wheeler is in a lot of the top 20 and 25 lists coming into this season. So. Uh, it's always fun to be right about some things. Uh, so, uh, you know, those two stick out to me. But, you know, I'm sure that over the next, uh, you know, call it 162 games, I'm, I'm probably going to have a few situations where I'm wrong. I could be wrong in a few things we talk about tonight. So, uh, so you know, might as well might as well harp on the, uh, the good ones while I can. Yeah. Um, one of the pieces I really am proud of is, is the first one that I posted. Uh, my first going deep piece on uh, Marcus Semyon uh, before the 2018 season when I said he's going to break out and go 2020, and then he did not. <laughs> um, I'm, I was just really proud of it because it was the first time I had done like that deep dive into one player, looking at all the kind of uh, 
the stat cast things, their batting profile, all that kind of stuff to figure out uh, what I thought was happening and why they weren't performing to the level that I thought they could. And then it just kind of he continued doing what he had been doing. But I still really enjoyed the piece. Yep. <clears throat> hum- humble and failure. Eh, is what it is. We're yep. all going to fail sometimes. Fantasy baseball is really, really hard. <laughs> it builds character. Absolutely. Yep. All right, so we've talked about it a little bit already, but uh, tell me a little bit about what kind of things you like to do outside of the baseball realm. I know you said uh, you sing, you you do a lot of fitness kind of stuff. Um, anything else along those lines? It, yeah, I mean, fitness, like I said, it it's rare, I, or at least I found out recently that it's rare for you know a lot of adults to find a passion and get paid for it. So you know, fitness it it is my career, but it's also a twenty four seven you know, passion of mine. So I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly trying to gain an edge in that, in that field. And I'm always looking out for my own well-being. Uh, I also still compete. Uh, when I, when I first moved up here, I was looking for anything, anything to keep me in shape and possibly keep me competitive against other people. Uh, I ended up taking up boxing when I first moved to Boston. I was actually a golden gloves boxer back in 2016. Um, yeah, got, got one victory. Uh, and then got and then got taken out by uh, by a kid whose corner was his father, his uncle and his brother. So a, a boxing family, so to speak. Uh, so <laughs> didn't feel too bad about losing unanimously to that kid, but uh, decided after that that if I was going to be in sales, you know, getting my face knocked in was probably not going to be the uh, the greatest route to success there. So uh, decided to go the polar opposite and go toward another uh, sort of sneaky passion of mine, which is cycling. I've, I was one of those kids that grew up, uh, you know, admiring Lance Armstrong and the U S postal service. Obviously that came back to bite me a little bit. Um, yeah, that was, that was definitely gut wrenching when all of that finally came out. But nonetheless, the sport is still one that I absolutely love, uh, kind of for a similar reason that I, that I love baseball. And there's, there is a clock in cycling, obviously it's measuring how long it takes you to get from point A to point B. But there's no game. But there's no game clock. There's no stop. There's no shot clock. There's no uh, there's no play clock. Like whatever whatever is trying to speed you up or slow you down in any way, shape, or form. So it's really just a staring contest between two guys or more, and they're saying who's going to break first. So it's like multiple men enter and only one leaves victorious, uh, which is you know always something that I think is romantic about certain types of sports. Uh, and I actually race up here as a cyclist. So it's a, uh, I'm, I'm one of those, uh, I think they call them mammals, middle-aged men in Lycra. Uh, I guess I'm not, <laughs> I guess I'm not middle-aged, uh, at age 27, but I am wearing the Lycra. So if, uh, whenever you're yelling and screaming at those guys who are taking up too much of the road, I'm one of those people. So, um, <laughs> hate that I love me. So it's, uh, yeah, always competing, you know, even if it's, you know, pick up basketball, uh, you know, uh, the trainers in my gym will occasionally do, you know, uh, mock meets for power lifts and things like that, which are fun to just sort of cheer each other on for new one rep maxes and things of that nature. But that's always been a big part of my, uh, my life as has, uh, music. So not only was I in the symphonic choir, but I also play the guitar. I'm still taking voice lessons up here in Boston. Uh, if I were to be completely honest, that's really my ultimate goal in life is to be a musician. Uh, I would love to get paid to sing and just have my guitar and have a chance to write songs that, you know, make people feel the way that I've, you know, felt from some of my favorite artists growing up. Uh, I've always felt the happiest when I'm 
you know, playing my own instrumentals and, you know, making myself, you know, feel emotionally the, how I felt when I put a certain, you know, riff together or a certain line together. So that is where I feel definitely at my, you know, self-actualized most happiness. Uh, but you know, that's sort of a long way off as of right now, at least with my other priorities and passions taking, uh, taking precedent at the moment. And the only other thing that I'll throw into my life outside of the baseball, uh, the baseball realm is that I do have a dog that I absolutely love. Uh, I know that the guys have come on here and talked about their, uh, their dogs and their pets. So, uh, I do, she's a, uh, she's a rescue. Uh, when I say a rescue, I mean, literally my sister's best friend rescued her off the side of a highway. So, uh, oh my. you know, not, not your SPCA went down there and got a free dog kind of thing. And I'm, and I'm not saying that to be, uh, to be, you know, uh, mocking of anyone who rescues dogs. I think it's one of the best things in the world that you can do. Uh, but she is a legitimate wild dog and you wouldn't be able to tell it at all if you were to meet her. So, uh, shout out to her. And if I'm going to make a shout out to my dog, I should also make a nice shout out to my girlfriend who I also live with. So, uh, don't want to, <laughs> don't want to talk too long about the dog, but she's going to listen to this and she's going to be like, Nope, that tracks. So, but I will give her a shout out. I love you too, honey. So, <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, I think fast, um, fast made uh, kind of this, a similar offhanded, uh, also I love my wife sort of thing when he, when he was on last week. Yep. So perfect. We, we, we obviously have our priorities, uh, in order here. hundred percent. All right. Well, that is the uh, kind of get to know you section. I think you might have taken the record for the longest get to know you. I don't know so. whether to I don't know what whether to say thank you or I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, a little bit of both. We'll just have to go. Uh, we might end up cutting out one of the seven guys we're talking about just to kind of push the needle a little bit as far as time. But that's all right. That's, we'll, that's we'll, fine. We'll think we'll get there. Um, yeah, I think there's one that we can cut out. Sure. We'll get there. But uh, now we're going to get into that rankings debate. So, um Dan is on this week to talk about first base. He's taking a look at my uh, rankings. You can find my top 300 on pitcher list. Uh, and he's taking a look at my first base rankings here to figure out a few guys that he thinks I've got too high at the position and a few guys he thinks I have too low. And now we're going to talk about why that is. But before we do, you want to say a couple words about guys that I do not have ranked at first. Yeah, I think it's important just to point these two guys out. One in particular is Reese Hoskins. Uh, he's technically not eligible at first base coming into the season, but he's, according to everything from roster resource to everyone's common sense set up to uh, be the starting first baseman in Philadelphia from day one. So right. uh, within the first month, you will gain first base eligibility with him. And, you know, we don't need to talk too much about him. Uh, I think everyone knows he's good. Uh, I will say not just as a Philadelphian, but as someone who, you know, got a chance to see him play literally every single game last year. Uh, there's a lot to love about him. I, I think that I would lump him in right there with probably Anthony Rizzo at that number three to number four spot. I think that there's, there's, room above what he did last season in terms of raising his average, raising his OBP. He's a super patient guy who's going to get you a lot of walks. Uh, I think that with the amount of balls that he hits in the air, uh, he's going to get you a guarantee mid thirties home runs with a full, with a full season of at bats. 
And on top of that, there's potential for him to be in a much better lineup this year, which should allow him to see a few more pitches. And the one interesting thing I'll throw out about him, uh, he batted infinitely better against righties instead of lefties last season. He, I think, had a 188 average with only three of his 34 home runs. Uh, so, you know, logically, you'd think right-hander should be able to adjust against lefties. So, you know, maybe that'll raise the ceiling a little bit, too. So. Um, I don't know if you have any quick comments on him or if you think that I'm too high or if you would have him right around that spot. I mean, in my rankings overall, he's at uh, he's at 54. Uh, he's my 18th outfielder. 54 would put him uh, behind Bellinger as and making my sixth first baseman. Uh, I'm not nearly as high on Hoskins. Haven't been uh, as impressed with him up to this point. Don't, I don't love his, uh, bat to ball skills. I love the power, obviously, and the, uh, on base percentage he'll give you. I'm just, um, not totally convinced that he'll be able to, uh, rein in his strikeout rate and everything, but I agree. This, the sky's the limit with his, uh, ceiling there. Also, I'd love to say, uh, I like how you said you don't need to say much about him and then give a whole like rundown <laughs> of Rizos. My, 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 my apologies. I do love the guy. Um, but, <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, he's, uh, I, I think at, at the end of the day, he's, he, he has that Ford, that, that legitimate 40 home run potential, um, bat to ball skills. Yeah. I can definitely get on board with you. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think we need to talk too much more about him. He's good. Sure. So yeah, Reese Hoskins will be first base eligible after he plays. Uh, for whichever format you're working in, most um, most formats here, be if he plays ten games or gets five starts, you're going to get that basically by the second week of the season. So you c- you can basically pencil in Hoskins to be your starting first baseman if you want to draft that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other guy you want to mention here is Travis Shaw, who is eligible at first base in Yahoo leagues, uh, but. My um, eligibility, as far as my rankings, I have set up for ESPN leagues. So with only 11 starts at first last year, he's not going to be first base eligible in ESPN. Um, but if you're playing a Yahoo, uh, you could draft him as a first baseman there. So uh, you got to say a few words about Shaw. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you know he's not. He's obviously not going to be as high in in my rankings as as Reese Hoskins, but just. You know, let's say you're in maybe like a keeper league or you decide to be the one that pays up for, you know, one of the upper echelon of second base or you have your corner infield or uh, I'm sorry, your middle infield set up. Uh, maybe you prioritize other things over first base. Real, Just realize that Travis Shaw is going to be there um, at first base. Um, he's got that that uh, like you said, he's got that flexibility. Um, he. I believe if he does have first base eligibility, he will be first, second and third eligible. So that is correct. Yeah. So that, I mean, you're talking about a guy who could have his value pushed up quite a bit. Um, but like I said, I, he's one of those guys who maybe if you look at your rankings, maybe he's down there with like the Joey Gallows on this list where he doesn't he have, is he actually does. just behind, if he were first base eligible, he would be just behind Gallo as my 10th first base. Yeah, not not quite the power potential, but definitely a little bit safer in terms of his average. Um, and he's going to have plenty of production in what should be a really, really good Brewers lineup. Correct. All right. Well, good stuff there. So. Let's get into the guys you think I am too high on. The first one, uh, pretty high-end player here, 
Cody Bellinger. Uh, so Bellinger here, uh, I have him as my fifth first baseman and 40th overall. And if we look at the NFBC uh, average draft position, ADP there, uh, he is f in the NFBC leagues thus far. He's been taken uh, at the 47th spot in ADP, which puts him at the fourth first baseman off the board. Um, so as far as overall, I am a little bit higher than... Uh, the industry thus far, um, and you think that I'm a bit too high. Uh, what, do you want to you want to lead this off, or you want me to give my case for why I've got him there first? What well, do you think? Why don't you go first? Sure. Well, I really like Cody Bellinger. Um, I mean, he was 22 last season in 2018, and in the midst of a sophomore slump, he still slashed 260, 343, and 470 with 25 home runs. Sure, we'd like to see that home run total uh, be closer to the 39 that he hit in 2017 there. Um, you know, at least 30, you would hope. But still, in the middle of a sophomore slump, which I am a big believer in, um, I think the overall production was still definitely useful. Um, now, with his production last year, he did still maintain a hard hit rate over 40%, a fly ball rate over 40%, both fantastic indicators of a great power hitter. And he also lowered his swinging strike rate and in turn his overall K rate. So I'm really pleased with the production he was able to get there as far as um, the underlying numbers. And I think he's also one of the safer first basemen as far as if you're looking to get stolen bases out of that spot. Obviously, first base is not a place where a lot of people are going to look for stolen bases. Uh, obviously, you get a lot of slower guys there. But uh, Bellinger is one of the few uh, first basemen that can give you double-digit stolen bases, as he did last season. So I think that definitely would be an advantage in those categories leagues where uh, every stolen base is going to be useful with how low they are in today's game. Now, real quick, I would like to just talk about this weird theory that I have as to why his home run rate dropped so drastically last season. I love weird season. theories. So, oh, this is... Uh, I went down a rabbit hole with this one. <laughs> so... I did, did some research the other night, and I found that 60% of the home runs hit in 2018 were hard hit fly balls hit to the batter's pole side. That was 3,334 of the 5,585 home runs. 60% of home runs in Major League Baseball total. Again, hard hit balls, or fly balls, and hit to the batter's pole side makes sense that uh, that's kind of where you're going to get your power now of those of those batted balls the league average home run to fly ball rate was 62 percent so 62 percent of those types of batted balls went out of the park now bellinger who is a fly ball pole hitter and hits the ball hard he ought to have a well above average home run to fly ball rate on those types of balls because he is an above average uh, hitter he like that he should be above the league average because this is I mean we're including guys like uh, JP Crawford in here and uh, D Gordon who occasionally may hit those types of batted balls now in 2017 when he hit those 39 home runs his home run to fly ball rate was 73 percent on those batted balls uh, compared to the 63% 2017 league average. So, again, well above average, like I believe he should be. In 2018, though, 
his home run to fly ball rate was only 56% compared to that league average 62. So my theory here is he got a little bit unlucky as far as the, the balls flying out of the park when they ought to have. Thoughts on that ridiculous, hard to follow uh, thought pattern there? I weirdly followed you. I, I think if I could, if I could almost summarize it, most of the we could say a majority of home runs in the in Major League Baseball go to a go to a hitter's pull side, right? And Bellinger is a fly ball pull hitter who, when he was at his elite level, his rookie season was pulling them out above league average, which is something you would expect. But for some reason last year, he was pulling them out at a rate that was below league average. So that yeah. is a, a totally legitimate theory. Um, now, I think there are some statistics that do actually help explain that, though. So I, I think, you know, you talk about the sophomore slump. I'm also uh, I guess big fan is not the right word. It's more just I'm a believer in the sophomore slump as well. Uh, I, I think that that 500 to 600 at bat range is usually a spot where guys get they tend to get figured out, so to speak. Uh, and they always go through a little bit of that slump. So I'm with you there. There were some pretty serious red flags with him, though. And when I look at things like one, the fact that he played an entire 162 games and only hit those 25 home runs, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a red flag off the bat. Then you start to look at the fact that he only batted 240 with runners in scoring position. You look at his drop in his ability to hit lefties. He dropped, I think it was from about 250 or 260 all the way down to 226 uh, in terms of his ability to hit left-handed pitching, uh, you know, throw in the fact that he is a lefty and we've got this new shifting generation where, you know, guys are starting to be pitched so that they hit the ball on the ground into that deep shift. So he's starting to get jeopardized there. And, you know, you talk about him having that decrease in his rate of fly balls being hit out. Well, if you look at his his X stats, um, you know, we obviously have access to Andrew Perpetua and, and his great tool there where we can look at very specific rates of certain types of batted balls. His barrel rate did drop, but he wasn't only topping more balls. He was also getting under more balls. So he had an increase in his dribble rate, which are really, really low value ground balls, as well as an increase in his pop up percentage which are just about the lowest value. I believe they come in at a rate of 0.014 in terms of their average, really, really low. So I don't know if it's like confusion or a little bit of overthinking at the dish with him, but there's just something was off with him and it could have just been a sophomore slump. He does seem to have the pedigree where he could figure out a way to turn this around. But again, with just all of these different red flags. It's just one of those things where you have him ranked 40th. That means he's going to be taken in the fourth round. That's like a staple pick. And if I'm looking at my fourth round options, I don't want to take what I would consider to be a risk on one of my staple round picks. That makes sense. I, I agree that uh, in your first few rounds, first five or so, maybe even more, uh, depending on your depending on your strategy, you definitely want to avoid risk. You want to take those safe picks. So. Um, I can definitely see where you're coming from, and uh, I think very legitimate points overall. Um, would you would you move him down in the first base rankings overall? Would you take someone like Jose Abreu over him, who I've got uh, sixth with Bellinger fifth? I th 
I like to focus on that tier, right? I think that it's mainly how high you have him ranked. I could certainly see myself rolling the dice on his upside as that potential 40 home run guy around that range. But to answer the question, probably in that tier, that that Jose Abreu, Jesus Aguilar, Joey Votto tier is where I would prefer to put him. I would not have him as close to the Anthony Rizzo, Reese Hoskins, Matt Carpenter range. Okay, that makes sense. And I will uh, I'll definitely have to take that into consideration. I'm working through adjusting my rankings again, mm-hmm. uh, preparing them for the January update, which should be coming, uh, I think, probably sometime next week. Can't wait. That's the plan for that one. All right, so solid there. Now, um, with this guy, this is the one that I think we can kind of afford to skip a bit here because I think with the fundamental difference in there's simply a, a fundamental difference in how we're valuing this player. Um, and it comes back to stolen bases <laughs> where I like to get my stolen bases. I play mostly in categories leagues um, and I often highly prioritize stolen bases. Um, and Ian Desmond is a player that can get you quite a few of those. So I've got him ranked uh, as my 15th first baseman, 156 overall. Uh, NFBC has got his ADP at 141 as a 14th first baseman off the board. So I'm actually behind the ADP there. Um, you think that's still too high. I assume that ha- mostly has to do with the fact that besides the potentially 20 steals he could get you, He's not offering much more. Is that, is, that, is that about what your argument is here? Yeah, I, I mean, it, he's probably lucking out. He's one of those guys who's getting a lot of advantages of being in course field, in my opinion, just with his. Sure. It, it seems like every ball he puts in the air is leaving the park because he hits 62 percent of his balls on the ground. So. Uh, it, it, he just has one of those batted ball profiles that tends to be very, very unattractive to most of us when we're when we're evaluating hitters. Um, like I said, he he could potentially you know get that cores bump and give you another twenty home runs. Maybe he gets a little lucky and he hits two fifty. Uh, but for the most part, outside of steals, it just feels like he's hurting you in most categories. That's fair. And he did. I I'm looking now. He did have a twenty four point seven percent home run to fly ball rate last year. Even in Coors, that might come down a bit. Uh, so the 2020 you got from him last year, not sure we're going to be getting that this year. And he definitely wasn't helping you as far as your average there. So, yeah, um, it it's unfortunate that he's getting the playing time over guys like Rymel Tapia, Ryan McMahon, uh, and potentially Garrett Hampson. Um, I love Tapia. I would love to see him get some at-bats. Uh, same with Hampson. I'm not a McMahon fan, but that's a different story. Yep. Uh, I know. I noticed you noted them there, so I wanted to throw those names out there as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I really don't think there's much more to say as far as Desmond goes. Um, you like steals, and I kind of don't. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of where we differ as far as him, I think. Yep. Now, this next guy I do want to have a conversation about because – I love this guy, especially for uh, 2019 purposes. Uh, but you think I'm too high on Jurex and Profar. So Profar is going to be the second baseman for um, the, the Oakland A's now, but he's also going to be first base eligible next season. I've got him as my 12th first baseman at 107 overall um, in the NFBC ADP. 
I am actually a little higher than them, only slightly. I'm about on track, though. They've got him at 116th ADP, with, and that makes him the 12th first baseman off the board. Now, you still think I'm too high. What, what, what's, uh, what's your rationale there? I think this is one of those situations where I start to wonder, you know, how much value does that positional eligibility actually get you? It's when I when I see Jerickson Profar, we're talking about a guy who really he's he started to finally put it together last year, right? So we we all understand in this industry that uh, you know prospect growth isn't linear, and I think we were all happy to see him finally have a little bit of success, but there are a lot of things that I'm definitely concerned with with him. One. I just from a pure scouting perspective, watching the way he swings the bat, looking at him in terms of his stature, it's hard to really fully buy into his power. And when you take into account that he's also leaving Arlington, which is one of the best hitter parks you could ask for in this league and going to the Oakland Coliseum, which we can all agree is perhaps one of the worst. Uh, We know that there are some hitters there that make it look a little small, but for the most part, it's a huge park where you start to wonder, you know, exactly how much success he's going to have as a fly ball hitter. Uh, Now, the other thing about him is you would expect a guy like him to be stealing a lot more bases. Uh, He still only had 10 in 146 games, which is kind of, it's kind of shocking to me. Uh, you, You just expect when he gets on that he'd be looking to make some things happen. You know, Steamer has him at, I think, 16 home runs. Let me look here. 16 home runs, 70 runs, and RBI, a 258 average with a 334 OBP. Now, that 334 OBP, that seems almost just barely good enough to maybe do some damage in a better lineup, but that almost even seems high to me. Like, it, 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 I, I, do, I don't know if I would buy 16 home runs out of Jerickson Profar, and when I'm looking at all of those numbers, it just doesn't strike me as a valuable hitter borderline top 100 okay so when i went to go check out the adp for profar here i was actually surprised to see that i wasn't notably higher than the industry because i i do very much feel like i'm a profar guy this year um when we did we had we had a Meeting with myself, Nick, uh, Ben Palmer, Dave Sherman, uh, Jonathan Metzlar, and we were going over the pitcher list rankings, like the the overall pitcher list rankings that they will put out on the site. And I was the guy who was constantly defending Profar and wanting us to put him higher. So um, I will. I do want to mention a thing you didn't mention. Uh, Profar, like I said, he's first base eligible and he's going to be playing second for the uh, for the Athletics, but he's also eligible at third and shortstop. So quadruple eligibility. Throw him literally anywhere in your infield. Super handy. I love that. And I yes, he is going from um, Globe Life Park in Arlington to O.Co., which is a much worse hitting environment, but he's also in a much better lineup. So I think overall, that's pretty much a wash. Ross Resource has him hitting at the top of their uh, lineup. He's going to be hitting second uh, in front of Matt Chapman and Kris Davis, according to them. Um, that's going to be great for his run production if he's hitting in front of those two uh, boppers there with Olsen, I think, in that five spot. So that's, I love that. Now, you mentioned Steamer's production as well. Honestly, 
if I, I'm a little offended by that. I think that's <laughs> I think that steamer projection is just rude. Um, I, I looked at his 2018 BABIP and it was only 269, uh, despite his 22% line drive rate and 37% hard hit rate. Like the guy has a kind of you know batting profile here that you would expect to result in a higher BABIP, especially uh, in a park like Arlington. Now, um, you also mentioned he only stole 10 bases. Well, I got to ask, did you happen to see how many times he was caught? Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and he was caught exactly zero times, Austin. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, uh, he's very efficient on the base pads. I was looking at his spot a little bit because that's what I do whenever I want to know something about stolen bases i really need to finish that spot article uh anyway <laughs> um his spot actually is quite low it's only at about uh eight point something if i remember right i should have written that down but um he's not trying to steal all too often um but we saw with uh, marcus Semyon that the athletics are willing to let a guy attempt steals um i went to look and they actually were the league uh worst in stolen bases last year however if you look at their roster they don't have anyone that would steal bases That's true. you're not going to have Kris davis matt chapman or matt olsen steal bases but they most of their stolen bases like nearly a majority came from marcus Semyon. but Semyon's the type of guy who would run and i think like you said profar seems like a type as well so i think they might let profar run which could be very exciting so my projection for Profar, even playing half his games in O.co, I think would be closer to like a 265 average with 22 to 25 homers and uh, 15 to 20 steals. I think that's legitimately possible. That might be a little optimistic, um, but I think uh, he could at least repeat what he did last year. And if he does that and he's eligible at all four of those infield positions, that's a guy I definitely want, especially if I'm in a daily lineups league. Yeah, I think there's a couple of really good points that you made. One, if he really is batting second in front of those guys, that's going to be super beneficial to his value. So that's that's one of the better things that I did like. Also, just went to check uh, your BABIP uh, theory. And if we go by X stats, uh, you would be correct because X BABIP actually has... 31 points to add to his BABIP. Uh, they would have had him at 300 going off his batted ball profile. And quite frankly, that does make sense. He hits a lot of what uh, XStats refers to as low drives, which uh, are rarely going to be hit for home runs, but they're almost always falling in for hits. So, yeah, I, he is starting to trend a little bit more toward hitting more fly balls. So you would expect his average to stay in that you know 270 range which nowadays really isn't hurting your fantasy team so that's so that's fine um if he finds ways to continue to get on base maybe improve that plate discipline a little bit and if he runs a little bit more you you might be right you might be the you might be the guy who was right about profar so um i've got i've got no arguments here um and actually you may have you may have budged me a little bit here i might i might look to hey. i might i might look to climb a little bit on him um i'll definitely keep my eyes out 
There we go. I'm I'm converting people to the pro far way of life. It's a good thing you and I are not going to be any leagues together this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we would both argue. Well, yeah, because I would have to. I'd say we could exchange Max and Profar, but we both like one and only one of us likes the other. So that wouldn't work out. Yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I uh, I might move Profar up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you say I'm too high. <laughs> Looking at this, I might bump him up a little bit. And I know Nick's going to listen to this and be like, Austin, come on, man. Yeah. He's, but, hey. I, I I like I like the guys I like so you made, you made good points. Uh, Profar, like I said, is definitely gonna be one of my guys going into uh, 2019. <clears throat> so let's talk for a moment about um, the guys you think I'm too low on. Again, we're we're definitely uh, oh, we're past the hour mark now, so it's a little uh, little long on this one, but that's okay. Um, I want to hear what you have to say on our next guy. You think I'm too low on Jose Abreu now? With Abreu, I've got him as my sixth first baseman at 74th overall. Uh, if we look at the ADP for the NFBC drafts, uh, he is at 86 there. That makes him their eighth first baseman overall. So I am higher than, uh, than the drafts that have been done so far. But you think I could be higher yet. Uh, talk to me about Abreu. Yeah. Uh, he's almost like the opposite of Cody Bellinger to me. Like... It, anyone who goes and looks at his Fangraphs page, you can. He's got a little bit of that like Anthony Rizzo esque character to him, where it's like you can just count on him for the for a certain level of production year after year after year. Uh, and 2017 was actually a, a spectacular season for him. Um, people are tending to forget a little bit about that. Um, but the thing about him is he has almost no change in his batted ball profile. If you look at all of his numbers from his high drives, which are those, you know, barreled up balls that are typically doubles or home runs, uh, his low drives, his pop-up percentage, his ground, his ground ball rates, they all look almost identical since 2015 all the way through 2018. And yet he's never really looked at. It's almost like he's like the forgotten first baseman. He's always depended on for those, you know, or he can always be depended on for those, you know, 30 home runs, 100 RBI. Fun fact about him. Did you know he hit six triples in 2017? That just no, I did not. That was a really weird statistic. He just did not strike me as a guy who would ever even remotely approach that. Um, Hmm. So that's a fun fact about him. But the thing that has me even higher on him going into this season is that even with zero budging in that batted ball profile he did have a significant drop uh his average went from the 290s down to 265 and his BABIP went from the mid 330s to 294 and like I said oftentimes we have a lot of ways where we can explain those changes with him there's nothing to explain it so he's one of those guys where I look and I say he got unlucky. So I'm very, very high on him being able to bounce back and be that typical Jose Abreu self. And if that's him, we're talking about a guy who should be up there closer to the likes of, you know, maybe the maybe not quite to the Rizzo, Carpenter, Reese Hoskins range, but right around there. I guess the point that I'm making is if those elite first basemen go off the board, 
I wouldn't let Jose Abreu dangle for too long. I think he's the safest of the next tier of first baseman. And if you're looking to just nail that position home, I would really look to grab him if you could. Yeah, I I went to look at uh, Abreu and honestly, I don't disagree with anything you said here. I think uh, I think all of that's really accurate. The one thing I looked at was the 11 home runs that he lost last year is a bit concerning but i mean he had that year in 2016 where he hit 25 uh so maybe he's not always gonna hit you know 33 35 home runs and that's okay if he's still giving you that 300 average and the 100 rbis which i think the white Sox could have a better lineup next year with guys like eloy jimenez coming up potentially I'm, there are still rumors about uh, the White Sox being connected to Harper and Machado. So I think um, with a potentially better lineup, uh, like you said, a lot of his batted ball profile is still very, very similar. I, I agree. I think I might be a little too low on Abreu here. So I will be uh, looking to move him up. So you, there you go. You convinced me on huh. this one. Yeah. And to make a quick comment on the 22 home runs, you should also note that he only played 128 games last year. So that oh, certainly that actually makes a lot of sense. So that certainly would play a role. Um, he, the injury that he, that ended his season, um, I believe it was called testicular torsion. I looked this up. It sounds horrible. But I looked it up. The uh, the surgery and the repair of this is very non-invasive in terms of actually attaching to the musculature of a of a human being. So uh, he should be fully recovered. It should not really affect his um, his swing or his game. It looked like a relatively minor procedure, just one that the White Sox decided was going to knock him out for the remainder of the year at, at game number one twenty eight. So um, as painful as it sounds. I don't think it's going to be that bad. Um, I fully expect him to be back to the Jose Brave of old. That was a very personal trainer way of uh, describing that issue. So, hey, well done. Hey, use your strengths, right? <laughs> I dig. So, uh, I was surprised to see this next guy you thought I was too low on. Um, because I consider myself to be pretty high on Jesus Aguilar. Uh, Aguilar is a guy that I really enjoyed watching in uh, 2018. I owned him in one of my leagues, and I've got him for 2019 as my eighth first baseman, 77th overall. So not very far behind Abreu at all. Um, and compared to NFBC, they've got him at the 80th ADP, which makes him their seventh first baseman. So. Again, I'm a bit surprised to see that uh, you think I'm too low. But uh, give me your uh, give, me, give me your take here on why you think I'm uh, I could have Aguilar even higher. Yeah, this is one where uh, you know we've we throw statistics out a lot because this is an extremely statistical driven game. This is one where I think stats and scouting are kind of shaking hands. I I saw a lot of him last year, and I just love. It his look and his feel at the plate. Uh, first of all, he's in what I think is an improved lineup. We already touched on it with Travis Shaw earlier. That Brewers lineup is looking real nice, especially with that addition of, oh, the, of Grandal. it's easily one of the best like offensive lineups yeah. in the National League. And I, you could put it up against the likes of Boston, uh, New York, Yankees even, and I think they would uh, 
hold their own at the very least. And they've got a very friendly park to boot. Um, Miller Park that's, is that's correct. Yeah, Miller Park's dimensions are very, very friendly, especially to a guy like him with raw power. And not just raw power, he's got raw power to all fields. He had 10 opposite field home runs last year of his 35. Uh, so when he's playing half of his games in Miller Park, he's demonstrated that he's got that great power to all fields. He hits a really good, high, good percentage of high drives and low drives, which again, suggesting that he should maybe have a slightly higher BABIP. I believe the X stats had his BABIP about 10 points lower than his X BABIP. So expect maybe that 265 to be more in that like 270 to 275 range, which should help you even more in terms of that category. Uh, he still strikes out a little bit too much for my liking. Uh, it's not the 30% from 2017, but again, he wasn't really in all that much of a rhythm in 2017. He was still a platooner. Uh, he played in a lot of games, but it wasn't as a full-time player. Uh, so he cut his he cut his strikeouts down from 30% to 25. He improved his walk rate from 8 to 10, and it just looks so effortless for him at the plate. Uh, with for how safe I think Jose Abreu is. I think the upside of Aguilar might actually be higher. I I think with a full season in that lineup, he's got the opportunity to use his pedigree. I believe he was drafted when he was 16 years old. If he's figured things out and he is the player that we saw through the middle of last season, we're looking at a guy who might be, you know, 40 plus home runs with a really respectable, you know, 270 to 280 average uh, driving in a ton of production in that in that lineup. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of what you said there. My my biggest argument for him, um, and it's not complicated, he just has a very small track record of success up to this point. That's fair. Um, we've basically seen the first three months last season were fantastic, amazing. I loved owning him for those first three months. Then he had a brutally poor July and then a solid August and September. So, like, he hasn't even been able to put together, like, one, you know, solid you know, year uh, to say, because that, that July was really bad. Let me pull that up real quick in his uh, splits. Give me just one moment as I pull that up on his fan graphs page. So in, uh, in July, uh, he hit only 202. He hit six home runs, but uh, 29 strikeouts was not what you want to see. And I, I was just, it was brutal owning him at that time. Um, because he he just wasn't giving you the production that you had gotten used to over the last three months. I'm I'm hoping that he doesn't turn into a kind of streaky player. Um, I'm hoping he can, like you said, get into a bit of more of a rhythm now that he seems to have locked himself into the first base role uh, in that Brewers lineup. <clears throat> so I definitely am high on Aguilar as far as my thoughts on him. I love to own him. He's got that for over 40% hard hit rate, over 40% fly ball rate again. Great for power hitters in a hitter's park. Good stuff all around. Um, if if he, assuming he repeats his numbers from last year, just does that 270 with 35 homers again, if he just repeats it, I will probably have him in my top 50 players for 2020 because, like I said, it's just a matter of his track record at this point for me. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're both in agreement. I think the I, I think you're keeping him there because you're a little bit scared. I, I obviously, you know, it, it. I seem to be the one who uh, likes to chase a little bit more upside. Uh, so uh, there could be a little disagreement there. But the, like I said, it's not too complicated for me either. I just overall, 
I love how he looks when he plays. I think you do too, and you're just being a little bit more cautious because of the uh, the time frame in which the success occurred. So, um, I think I think we're both relatively high on him. I'm just a little bit higher. Sure. Yeah. I think that sounds about right. Cool. And I think that might just be the case for the next guy as well. Um, uh, my argument for Max Muncie is essentially the same. Now, I, Muncie here I've got as my 11th first baseman, 104 overall. And uh, NFBC agrees with me pretty much exactly. They've got him at the 105th ADP, which makes him their ninth first baseman. Now, for me, uh, with Muncie, again, I think it's just a matter of track record. Uh, we, we've only really seen one good year from him. Sure, he was mashing in the minors, but I want to see that at the major league level as well. Of course, he did hit those 35 home runs with a 260 average. Great to see that, especially with the nearly uh, 400 on base. If you're in an on-base percentage league, oh man, you got to have this guy. I would, that would raise him up significantly in my rankings. My rankings um, are specifically for standard 5x5 five five with batting average instead of on-base. So... Um, my, my concerns with Muncie and why I've got him uh, outside of my top 100, only barely, but there he is outside. Um, I, it's the Dodgers. And I, I, I know he's very, very talented, and I hope they know that as well because I would really like to see him uh, be in their lineup pretty much full-time. Right now, Roster Resources got him slated to be starting at second base. Uh, if that's the case, that'd be awesome, because I would love to own a first base, second base, third base eligible Muncie. Man. That sounds great to me. Oh, that sounds good. Doesn't it? Yeah. Throw in a little bit of uh, similarly eligible... Um, uh, Travis Shaw there, maybe even some jerks and pro phone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that all sounds great. Now, again, it's all kind of about the track record here. Uh, Muncie only really got full time at bats in that Dodgers lineup in May, June, and July. Uh, if we look at those months, I like to look at his slugging percentage because that's what you're that's what you're looking for at Muncie is that sl- those slugging numbers, those power numbers. Um, in May, June, July, he slugged 551, 771, and 516 respectively. So his uh, his June was absolutely ridiculous. It's when he did a lot of his production, uh, and, and after that, he just kind of got jerked around for the rest of the season as far as his playing time goes. Once. Uh, once Machado and Dozier were added to the team, there was less of an opportunity for him. They started to sit him against lefties, uh, which might be understandable. He did only hit eight of his 35 homers off lefties, but that might be a chicken and egg sort of deal where he's not getting the opportunity against lefties. So maybe that's why he's not hitting as many of his home runs. Whatever the case may be, I am, I'm, I'm hoping that Dave Roberts and the Dodgers will allow him to play every day against lefties and everything like that. Uh, find a way to get him into a starting role, whether it's second base or otherwise, uh, because this guy definitely has some impressive raw talent, and I'm sure you're going to talk about that uh, here. So why do you think uh, I'm a little low still on Muncie? Yeah, I I'm kind of on the same page as you. The The thing that freaks me out is I don't know if the Dodgers know what they have in this kid. They, when you break this guy down, it it is almost impossible to not just fall in love with him as a hitter. Uh, I don't just for reference, I I don't think people realize exactly how good Muncie was last year. So just to put it in a general context, 
the WRC plus leaders last year were Trout at 191, Mookie Betts at 185, J.D. Martinez at 170, Christian Yelich at 166. Max Muncy would have been next on that list at 162. OK, like he was an wow. unbelievable hitter across the board. Yeah. And you are correct that he did start to struggle a little bit, um, a little bit in that second half. Uh, if we look at him, month, I think if we go month by month here, and I, I want to take a quick look at his uh, baseball savant page uh, because they broke this down very nicely. You can see that there's an adjustment to him in July where the league just starts throwing him a ton of breaking balls because they realized that he was swing that he was whiffing at them at. Let me take a look at this. Yes. In August, his whiff rate was fifty eight point eight on breaking balls. Oof. So they started to make that adjustment. But lo and behold, Max Muncy still ends up batting two fifty nine, despite what I've believe if I scroll down here a little bit was a yes 40% strikeout rate so if he's not striking out he's getting on pace like it's not like he's it's not like he's one of these guys who's just hitting weakly to all fields this guy to your point about lefties yes he strikes out like crazy against lefties it's up in the upper 30s of the percentile but he still batted 255 and he still hit eight home runs off of them so Yes, he strikes out a ton, but he's still productive against them. So, again, it just goes back to that whole Dodgeritis thing. It doesn't just exist for the pitcher, for the pitchers. They just love to exploit that bench, and that's the thing that kind of freaks you out. But let's just go through a couple more numbers. His high drive rate, eighth best in the major leagues. Uh, he also has an exceptionally high low drive uh, rate. And he has a somewhat average pop-up and dribble rate. So I figured there's no way that his 299 BABIP could be correct. And I was correct. XBABIP is 331. That's a 32-point difference. So let's imagine that that BABIP goes from 300 to 330. That 263 average probably goes up into the upper 270s, 280. He walked at a rate of 16%, which was fourth in the league behind Trout, Harper, and who was the other guy? Votto. This guy is just elite in every single way that you look at him. If he gets 150 games, which with that positional eligibility, you would hope they find a way to keep him in that lineup. There should be no reason for you to hate Max. I, If he does end up where you have him in your overall, which is right around that 100 mark, he has a shot to be, in my opinion, the most valuable player that you drafted this year. Yeah, I I mean, I don't disagree with you at all. His talent level is ridiculous. He's kind of one of those three true outcome guys where he strikes out nearly 30% of the time. But with that gaudy walk rate and his power, it's, he's going to be a lot of times either hitting a home run, striking out, or taking a walk. So... I don't know, man. I, I'm very, very interested to see uh, what he does in 2019. Like you said, he could be a league winner for some folks who are willing to take him right around that 100 rate. Um, he might end up being a guy that starts moving up draft boards once we start to get a little closer to uh, February and March. Most people are doing their drafts as well. 
it's very interesting to kind of watch the uh, landscape as uh, more people start transitioning from fantasy football into fantasy baseball and see seeing how people actually feel about some of these guys. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. Again, for me, it's very similar with Muncie and uh, Jesus Aguilar. Um, I think both of them, I love what I saw in 2018. I just want to see more of it in 2019. Yeah, and I think one of the other things I mentioned earlier, which might give the Jose Abreus and the Jesus Aguilars a slight little advantage over Muncie, is that, again, he is a lefty. Uh, we know that lefties are being defended differently, so that could be something that potentially comes back to bite him uh, if teams start to figure him out. But again, the, the last thing that I want to say about him, I'm looking at Death Chart and Steamer. Death Charts has him projected for 134 games. Steamer has him projected for 130. I mean, it's just I don't know if they're just going off of his history where even last year in what could have been considered a full season, he only played 137 games and they're just basing it off of that. But man, if he is healthy for an entire year and doesn't get at least 150 games, I'm just going to be sitting here scratching my head. I don't I don't know about you. Yeah, I I don't disagree at all. Now, where I do disagree is this last guy we're going to talk about. <laughs> and I, I'll be honest, I don't even want to spend a lot of time with this guy. We don't have I to. feel like we're so far apart. Um, why do you like Luke Voigt? I, I've got him as my 21st first baseman, uh, 239th overall. Uh, the NFBC isn't far off on me as far as relatively since he's that late. They've got him 195, uh, ADP, 19th first baseman. I mean, I'm just not a Voigt fan. I don't get it, I guess. So let me ask you a question. Are you not a Voigt fan because you don't buy that he has the talent or do you not buy him because you believe that the Yankees are going to find a different answer at, at first base? It's possibly a little bit of both, mainly the latter. I just don't see the Yankees being willing to use Voigt as their starting first baseman for all of 2019, a year when they are as likely as anyone to uh, vie for and win the World Series. Like, it's the New York Yankees. Everything is different for the Yankees, and I just don't see them being satisfied with Voigt. So I'm not sure he's even going to get the playing time to be worth the the 239 I've got him at. It's just the 239 is because of the talent because I think he is a good hitter. I don't think he's as good as what we saw in 2018. Uh, his 41% homer to fly ball rate is definitely going to go down this next year. But I mean, he, he's definitely performed well. Um, and I think he has the potential to continue I just don't know if it will be in New York. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's got to be where we differ because I think the Yankees have proven even recently if you produce, there will be a spot for you in this lineup. Just look at the likes of an Aaron Hicks, right? I mean, a lot of people were thinking, does Hicks actually have a home in this outfield given the injuries, given the fact that they've got Gar Gardner, they've got Stanton, they've got Judge. You know, where is Hicks? And Ellsbury and Ellsbury, right? Can't so, forget about him, old, who they still owe so much money. Old Jacoby, yep, that's him. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, my point being, if 
if Voight performs, because I do think that on opening day, he's going to be there. They might start to look for other solutions over the course of the season. But I mean, he hasn't just been good. He's beasted since he came into the league. I mean, he's been on fire and not just in New York. He was also extremely productive for the Cardinals at the tail end of 2017 as well. So he's proven to be a good hitter. Now, we talked about that sophomore slump. If it happens, it will happen this year for him. So you should be preparing yourself for a little bit of that. But when I look at the the rankings here and if I bring them up really, really quickly, like if I'm going to look at a guy like, let's say, Eric Hosmer or especially a guy like a Jose Martinez, where we don't even know if he has a home in the Cardinals organization with the acquisition of Goldschmidt, um, even a CJ Crone. I mean, CJ Crone's track record, he's been in the league longer, but his track record in terms of seasons He's got more at bats, but does he really have that much more consistent starting position playing time than Luke Voigt? And has he had the same level of success? I just think given what Voigt has done, he's earned the respect. He's probably, at least I would hope, won the war over Greg Bird. And regardless of where you're hitting in that, he could bat eighth in that Yankee lineup and have RBI and run scoring opportunities. Like it, it's just a That's stacked true. lineup. Uh, whether he's batting behind Andujar, whether he's batting in front of LeMahieu, um, he could always. They might DH him some days to give him some days off, but keeping them in the lineup. I, I, I just think. I think the Yankees do like him, and I do think that he's earned the right to stand at that position in New York. And even if he goes into that slump, I don't think it's going to be because he's not seeing pitches that he likes. I think it's just going to be that the league figures out the tiniest way, and he's going to go ahead and make that adjustment. Yeah, I mean, his production, what he did on the field, you can't question. I mean, he did hit 15 homers in only 47 games. 322 average. Gotta love that. He he won fantasy leagues. Yes, he did, folks. Um, but again, I keep coming back to that 41% homer to fly ball rate. And even in New York, that's gonna come down. And if we're putting the over under for his home runs at 25 for the year, I'm gonna take the under on that one. Uh, that's a it's a good number. Um. I mean, if he gets a full season, I might take the over. I I, I like him. I, I think that he hits a lot of balls in the air. He hits them hard. Uh, and he went the opposite way in Yankee Stadium quite a bit last year as well. And we all know how friendly that porch is. So that's true. There's, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity than people are giving him credit for. And if he gets that opportunity, looking at your list, I would probably have him probably higher than Hosmer. I might even I might might even sneak him over Santana, but Santana does have that awesome plate discipline that can win you some categories. Um, and I hesitate to put him over Miguel Cabrera because I do have my own little theories about Miggy, um, that biceps injury. Uh, this is the personal trainer in me again, uh, that <laughs> anatomically, uh, that biceps tendon, if it was really bothering him and it was on his left arm, which is his pull arm, it would be very, very difficult for him to keep that arm locked out straight and generate a lot of force and power through um, through his core. So um, his tra force transmission was probably off, which would probably explain a lot of his uh, depletion in power over the last couple of seasons. Uh, so I would expect a little bit of a bounce back from Miggy. 
sorry to sneak him in there, uh, but oh, you're good. Yeah. I mean, there was uh, a fantastic, really, really well done article by uh, Ben Pernick uh, yeah. just yesterday, actually on the fifteenth, uh, called "Don't Stick a Fork in Miguel Cabrera." Everybody, go give that a read. Uh, that's it was really well done work. Um, well done there by uh, Mr. Ben Pernick. So, yeah, I. I, if going back to Voight, uh, if Luke Voigt gets a full season, then sure he 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 will be productive. I'm just I'm not personally convinced that he's going to do that. Fair. All right, so that's a uh, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for our first base ranking debate. There now, I want to take literally just like a minute, no longer, and and uh, say I'm surprised you didn't uh, mention Edwin Encarnacion as a guy I had I'm too low on. I've got him 14th at 139 overall, and I don't like Edwin at all this year. Um, he, you know, I wanted to talk about him. I don't like that he's behind Profar and Tyler White. I I am actually also with you on Matt Olson. I think he's what him and Gallo both are just these guys where you're like, man, if you just figure out how to up your average by like, 15 points you're going to be hitting 50 homers so um i do like those two but with edwin it's it come it's as simple as just when do you think he's going to slow down are are you the one who wants to be holding the hot potato when it decides that it's going to be too hot or do you want to be holding the bomb when it's going to explode whatever whatever analogy you're looking to use right um i do think that encarnacion should be a little bit higher in these rankings but um again i i think that first base as we're going through this discussion we're realizing that it's a little bit deeper than i think a lot of people gave it credit for coming into the season so um i would still have edwin outside of the top 10 for sure but um definitely above at least in my opinion uh maybe the likes of profar and white um profar you know we can we already had that discussion so we don't need to go too <laughs> far into it sure. but but yeah i do think you're a little low on him but not as low but i, I thought the other guys were going to be a little bit more interesting to talk about Sure. And I I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but first base, just overall, um, the landscape of first base for 2019 is very interesting. It's, I think it's different than what we've seen um, in the past, where it's not as deep, at least at the top end. The high end first baseman, like your top 10, I don't think are quite as reliable as we're used to we're used to a lot of our best hitters some of the like first second third round hitters coming from first base um, and that top 10 a lot of times 10 guys could be included in the top 50 overall players whereas i've got matt olson my number 10 at 102 so really i've only got nine in the first, top 100 um however it's still a position that is deep once you get into the middle and late rounds i think um like I've got CJ Crone at 20th and Luke Voigt at 21st and guys even beyond that that I think can still be productive players in your fantasy lineup, especially like at a corner infield spot if you've got a league that works with that. So I know there's been a lot of talk about first base being a lot thinner than uh, we're used to at least. And I don't disagree, at least at the top, but I think overall uh, for like – one through 30 it's still very similarly deep as far as the later rounds go yeah it, I, there were historically anomalously bad starts for goldschmidt rizzo and carpenter which i think Correct. turned people on early on last year um and joey Votto 
Do not sleep on Joey Votto either. His batted ball profile still looks very good. I know there's going to be a lot of Votto believers out there. I think the big thing that we covered here is, yeah, you could move Abreu up a little bit. You could move Aguilar up a little bit. Maybe Votto even sneaks up a few spots just due to the depth of the position. If those elite guys, call it your top five if you include maybe Hoskins, if those guys go off the board, be very, very careful careful about waiting too long to take your first baseman i guess because you can still you can still get a very productive safe guy within maybe the next five or six but after that there is there's quite a cliff where you're not necessarily looking at a cliff of air quotes production but there's definitely going to be a lot of high risk involved i agree and as much as a profile guy as i claim to be I would not want Jerks and Profar to be my starting first baseman. And if you're playing a 12-team league, and if my top 12 is what you're working with, well, he's my 12th. So someone's someone's going to be out on a first baseman. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely, if like you said, after those top five, um, go go for someone like Abreu or Aguilar, or Gallo. D- don't be the Olsen. don't be the one that loses the staring contest. Don't be afraid to reach to make sure you nail that spot, knowing that you can take a exactly. few other risks later. Well, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed. Me it. Me too. Now, we're gonna finish out the show like we always do with our community questions here. So, uh, we're gonna try, probably take these a little faster than we usually do because. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go over the two-hour mark, <laughs> but that's all right. We, we had some really, really good uh, discussion in the first base, and I think people are going to find that very valuable. So we'll just take these questions a little faster. As as always, you can send us those questions by email at community at pitcherlist.com or send them directly to me on Twitter. I am at Bristowski. So let's go ahead and get right on into it. Um, my good buddy, uh, Joe Fury, all the way from the United Kingdom, wants to know um, what we expect from Willie Calhoun going forward, the outfield prospect for the Texas Rangers. Uh, last year, uh, I drafted him in the pitcher list league. I drafted him in the late rounds. I think it was my second to last pick, expecting him to... Uh, come in maybe you know a few a month or two into the season and really make a difference he was a guy that was pretty highly touted as and pretty sought after last year in drafts and he only got uh, just over a hundred plate appearances super disappointing that we didn't see him and he was disappointed as well there was a there was reporting that he was very upset to still be in triple a um late into the season so in AAA, he dominated again. He's always hit well in the minors. Um, he's hit 294 uh, with 351 on base and 431 slugging. I would have liked to see the power be a little bit higher, but again, maybe he was upset. Maybe he wasn't playing to his full potential sort of thing. Um, I think that this year we do get to see Calhoun uh, play in Arlington, which will be very exciting. He's only going to be 24, and no one's really talking about him as far as drafts. I think we're getting kind of that uh, post-hype sleeper where he didn't produce in the season that we expected him to, and now people are kind of off on him, forgetting about him. Um, what do you think? What are you expecting from uh, Calhoun in 2019 and beyond? Yeah, I... It, 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 this is one of those cases of like your guess is as good as mine. You know what I mean? Like it's it, you want to talk. I mean, you mentioned that Max Muncy was getting jerked around last year. You want to talk about, about a guy that got jerked around. I mean, Willie Calhoun was 
potentially going to be on the on the opening day roster. And then all of a sudden it was, nah, his defense. And eh, we want to teach him outfield. Eh, he's demotivated in the outfield. We want him to be a DH. Eh, but we already have a DH. It's There was so much red tape for him. And who, again, it's hard to get inside the head of these players uh, when you don't actually see them, right? It's, it's, all, it's all projection on our behalf. Uh, but, you know, you can certainly stunt a guy's development. You can certainly stunt a guy's growth. And... If they don't get him at bats quickly, I think he's very, very rapidly going to fall behind his class of prospects. And that can demotivate a guy when the guys who you're coming up with are having the success that you thought you were supposed to be having. So uh, I'm going to be honest. I am not going after Calhoun pretty much anywhere. And I've been a guy who I think, like you, has been high on him for a couple of years now, even from when he was back in the Dodgers organization. And I do love the prospect of him hitting as a lefty in Arlington. But, man, am I just nervous i mean even roster resources doesn't have him in their lineup to start the year they they have him as a as an outfielder as his position uh for the bench role in, in, in a bench role so uh you know i think ideally we see him getting maybe a platoon of you know DHing and outfield that would be awesome if we could actually see him in that lineup but man you wonder if there's a spot for him and you wonder where his head's at within that organization yeah I think the Texas Rangers lineup is one that's really interesting. I've been watching um, roster resource and watching reports for that throughout the offseason, actually, because um, there have been reports that Joey Gallo might play some center field. Wow. Um, which is entertaining. Uh, what we don't, what the thing about Gallo, uh, we don't realize he's actually kind of fast. Um, he's such a, you know, power hitter, huge guy. Uh, we don't think of him as kind of a uh, fast athlete. He, he's got some speed to him. Um, I think there's opportunities for Calhoun to get at bats in 2019. Um, Delano Shields is still uh, projected to be in their lineup, as well as uh, Shinsu Chu. And uh, they've got Nomar Mazzara projected in there as well. There's been talk about potentially trading uh, Mazzara, Chu, um, even to Shields. There's talk of trading pretty much everyone that's not named Odor, Gallo, and Andrews, from what I understand. So I think that – I do think that Calhoun will get uh, over 400 plate appearances in 2019. I think he will find a way into it because he is a talented hitter. Even in his – diminished power production i think he's still a talented hitter um and i think that we'll get to see it this year i will probably be taking a little bit of calhoun late in drafts i think it's a this, that's a good dart to throw if you're looking for a late option as far as uh eh, we'll try this if it doesn't stick i'll drop him i think that's a good guy to go for yeah i, I think They've got a much better opportunity to trade Mazzara than Chu. Uh, that, that contract for Chu is quite hefty, uh, and I'm not sure exactly who's going to want to be biting off that that piece. Uh, but if they could find a way to get Mazzara out of there, that would it would be really interesting to see Calhoun sort of step into that spot because he would essentially be right in the heart of that order uh, in what we know is a great hitter's environment. So, uh, 400 plate appearances that. My first instinct is that's that's bold. Uh, but you know what? I I got to say I would be thrilled to see that because I think even with 400 plate appearances, his track record in the minors suggests that he could even be he could be very fantasy relevant even with that part time. Sure. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you for that one, Joe. All right. Um, let's see. I want to talk about this one for sure. Um, Avery Meyer, one of our uh, supporters here for Pitcher List, he wants to know, uh, Dan, why is it that Nick Pavetta is arguably the greatest pitcher ever? <laughs> uh, I mean, where do I start? So, uh, oh, now, so yeah, this is a running joke. To those who aren't a part of the community, I have been. I think a lot of people thought Nick Pollock was the Pavetta guy, and then I stepped into the community. Uh, so, <laughs> I love Nick Pavetta. I've I've loved his his ability to strike guys out. I've been in love with his fastball since the first day that he came into the major leagues. Even when it was getting obliterated in 2017, I still loved it. I I could see the strikeout potential, uh, and I could see the sort of that you know unfazed look uh, on his face. Um, even when he was getting battered, it looked like he was still out there ready to compete. So I just fell in love with Nick as a, as a player. Now coming into last season, uh, we obviously know he kind of took off like a cannon out of the gate, uh, was striking out a lot of guys again, uh, and actually publicly, uh, mentioned Aaron Nola and his mentorship with his curveball grip, um, as a huge factor in his improvement with his control of that pitch, that pitch, which, by the way, was a money pitch according to our uh, O swing zone rate and swinging strike rate parameters. Um, yep, I'm so glad you did that. Um, so, got you, buddy. Uh, so we've got that money pitch. We also have a four seamer that sits between 95 and 97 with great movement. The biggest problem with him is that he just doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't throw it the right way. I think he needs to start elevating it a lot more. I think he starts, he needs to start using it. Um, a little bit more in terms of slowing it down and speeding it up rather than just sort of throwing it on the corners. Uh, he's even with all of these things that I'm mentioning, he struck out 27% of the batters he faced and he only walked 7% in terms of strikeout to walk rate in terms of FIP, in terms of Sierra, he was up there amongst the league leaders. He was 13th in Sierra behind his teammate, Aaron Nola. And a lot of people don't realize that, um, with that fastball, with that curveball and knowing that he's in the Phillies organization, which when they have these talented pitchers, they tend to try to work the change up into their repertoire. Everyone saw Cole Hamels come up with it. And Hamels was sort of the opposite where he had the change up and they put a curveball into his repertoire. Look at Aaron Nola's success last season where he used to be a two pitch pitcher with that fastball curveball, added a change up and just nailed it in terms of being able to, to throw that thing uh, down in a way to left-handed hitters and be very effective with it. So um, I'm actually confident that Pavetta could come out this year and have a much improved changeup to the one that he threw last season. And if he continues this path of learning from Aaron Nola and just getting better each year, we've got a guy who's handled the hard part. He had the controllable elements of being a pitcher, striking guys out and walking people. He's got those things under control. Now he just needs to be a little bit more strategic about his pitch selection. And perhaps, perhaps he'll come in with the, with a new changeup and that could just completely open up his repertoire and allow him to get deeper into games. You said it all. I mean, he's, he's definitely got potential to be one of the higher upside, uh, plays at starting pitcher this year. And, uh, I'm glad we, you were able to give us that breakdown there. Yeah. All right, I want to finish it out with this last question here. It's from Cole Copeland. Uh, he wants to know what you think would be um, 
an off-season trade or free agent signing that is not Harper or Machado that will have the biggest fantasy impact this year? Yeah, I... Part of me, it would kind of be cheating if I included a hypothetical of Harper being on the Phillies, but I thought about mentioning Andrew McCutcheon if he would, because he's going to be in a lineup in a park that's much friendlier than the situation he was in with uh, the Giants last season. Uh, so with him continuing to get on base, um, he should have a good opportunity to continue his production um, as a Philly. So that's one thing, um, or that's one option. The one that I actually like the most, though, happened recently. I love Avisel Garcia to the Rays. Uh, I'm super. Well, that hasn't happened quite yet. Okay. That's just what everyone's saying is going to happen. I, but that's an in- it's definitely interesting. Yeah, if this if this happens, um, and the rumor mill is swirling pretty hard, so it would be a little odd if this one didn't go down. Um, more sure. than happy to eat my words. Sure, sure. But man, if he ends up on the Rays, we've got a guy who started hitting the ball a little bit more in the air last season. Uh, he is a traditionally high BABIP guy who hits the ball, who hits the absolute snot out of the ball. He continued to hit the ball hard last year, but fell upon a little bit of BABIP luck with those uh, additional fly balls he was throwing up in the air. But the Rays organization seems to take these guys. Uh, they did it with CJ Crone. They did it with Tommy Pham and sort of saved his season last year. They teach these guys to be very, very productive in terms of elevating the ball with power. And if they get Avisale in that lineup, imagine him DHing behind the likes of Kiermaier, Pham, and Wendell. The amount of opportunities that he mm-hmm. could have, um, even if he's not hitting out of the park, just hitting it hard and having opportunities to drive those runs in. By the way, as a DH where he can focus on just hitting and not going out to play outfield every day. Um, that's one where I'm really, really pumped. And if this gets finalized, I am probably going to go out seeking Garcia. I might even reach to get him in a couple of my drafts. That's a good one. That's one I hadn't really thought about with the uh, the approach that the Rays will could transition him to. Uh, for me, if I had to answer this one, I am very, very interested to see where Adam Adovino lands because Adovino was one of the best relievers last year, um, just absolutely dominant in Colorado. And he's got the potential to be a great um, closer for a squad. And I have been saying since before the playoffs were over that I wanted my Atlanta Braves to sign Adovino to be our closer. Um, We've touted A.J. Minter as a potential future closer. Uh, Vizcaino has been in that role some. And I'm just not sure that either of them are fit for that role in a Braves team that is ready to compete for the pennant. Um, I would love to see Adovino go to a team to close. I think that would drastically increase his um, his value in fantasy leagues because he would then be able to get some save for your team. Um, so if he goes to a team to close, that'd be fantastic. I'm really, really hoping that it's my Atlanta Braves. <laughs> so that's that's my pick and you had uh avi Sayo garcia which i kind of wanted him to sign with the braves as well to be our right fielder but hey is what it is yep. so yeah that will be our show again a long one on this one but you know what it was all really really good content especially that first base debate thank you so much for coming on uh, i really appreciate you taking the time to really dig into those first basemen and uh give us some fantastic analysis there no this was a lot of fun. I can echo that. And, uh, I really appreciate you selecting me. This was, uh, sort of a good coming out party for me in my first year with the pitcher list. So, uh, 
thanks for having me. It was uh, it was great. Absolutely. All right. So for Dan McNamara, my name is Austin Bristow, and this has been On The List.